This is a podcast where we get together on a fortnightly basis to discuss different topics to see if this might be what our podcast is about. My name is Keith Ramsey, and as always, I am joined by Peter Akerley. Hello! And Matthew Grace. Hello. So, how you guys been in the time since our last recording? Pretty good. Yeah, doing pretty alright. Uh, a lot of information came out. Uh, finally, the uh, mythological uh, information that is the price and release date of the PlayStation 5 has gotten announced. I just love all the, like, memes that have come out about this before the price release. Like, there were press releases where it was the price of the PlayStation 5 according to Pringles was uh, one of the ones <laughs> I saw. I love that one. Um, but no, now we have actual information so people can stop making memes about it. But I don't think that will stop the memes. Oh, definitely not. Yep, but we're getting a surprisingly bit earlier than we thought. It's going to be a November release date is what's scheduled. Uh, of course, the pre-orders just went out the window as soon as they were up. That system immediately fucking broke. Uh, but uh, uh, of course, if you still want to get a PlayStation 5, they're for like $1,000 on eBay. Yeah. People just build a bot to farm the pre-order and now they'll sell it off to you for two thousand or for a thousand bucks. You see, with console pre-orders, I never got the the, the whole like scalping thing because they're going to put more in stock. They've yeah. already made their money, so they have no reason to not make more and sell them. So that's going to devalue pretty quickly. Yeah. And mean, it's not like there's fucking pre-order exclusives in the form of a console. Like, Well, on top of that, too, most of those consoles, too, are pretty... Uh, notorious for being very buggy for like the first couple of months until like the enhanced or like slim edition gets released. Oh yeah, my intention is fully to wait it out until the PlayStation Five S comes out or something like that. Oh, let's see if we can start on the Xbox because I've heard people talking about it so much, like the Xbox One Series S to like the Xbox current stuff. I was like, my god, it's a little maybe this purely to confuse parents buying stuff for their kids. My kid said he wanted an Xbox. Well, which of these 12 varieties do you want? Uh, what's the newest one? Oh, we got this one. Uh, oh, oh, wait, 360. That's clearly the furthest one down the line. You're trying to sell me the one when I asked for the most recent one? I... Uh, what do you take me for? God, it's just problematic. Uh, also, they did announce a lot of uh, games that are going to be coming out pretty early uh, within the life cycle of the PlayStation 5. Demon Souls looks amazing. Yep. Yes. And one thing I noticed in the new Demon's Souls footage that we got is they toned down the brightness considerably, and it makes the game look a whole lot better and more... I, I mean, they're still going to have the slider, though, so I can still jam it all the way oh, up, well, right? I mean, when they first showed off the trailer for the remaster, like the little Tower Knight boss arena, it looked really bright and vibrant. Now it looks... Dark, dirty, and grim like it's supposed to. Oh, during my playthrough, it's going to look real bright and vibrant because I'm going <laughs> to jam that slider all the way up. Nothing's going to spook me from the shadows. I'm not walking into a dark room and getting jumped on by three skeletons without knowing about it. I'm going to walk into a room knowing I'm about to be jumped on by three skeletons. Wrong game. That's uh, de uh, Demon Souls. Oh, sorry, Dark Souls 1. Dark Souls, yeah, yeah. sorry. <laughs> Fuck that cave. God damn. Uh, but on top of that, there was also announcements that we are getting Spider-Man uh, Morales is going to be coming out pretty soon within lifespan. Uh, we're getting Final Fantasy VII Part II. Uh, but they also kind of stated that a lot of things are going to be getting released on the 4 as well, and not just only on the 5, which I guess we should have expected considering they do this every life cycle. Uh, I, the most notorious one was the fact the PlayStation 2 was still getting games released on it like seven years into the life of PlayStation 3. Yeah. I don't think this will go on forever, but... At least for the early life cycle of the PlayStation 5, it'd be a real dick move to make all of their early releases only available on the 5. Yeah, mm -hmm. and they already pretty much said, like, oh, we're not going to try to mimic Xbox. You're not getting new games on a Game Pass from us. 
Uh, yeah, there was a couple games there that looked really fantastic. Like, I'm super hyped for uh, Hogwarts Legacy. That game looks really good from what I can tell. From it's the not thing- about Harry Potter. Exactly. It's oh, a good. game set in the fucking Harry Potter universe that's not about fucking Harry Potter, which I love. The fact that you can see different playable characters wearing the col- uh, colors of different houses means you actually get to choose your path up to a certain degree and you're not just fucking on rails the entire game. So that should be pretty exciting. Yeah, and uh, this I believe this is the Harry Potter RPG that they were talking about that's been in development for some time, so I, I'm looking very forward to this, especially if it has RPG mechanics, where yeah. maybe you can, like, you know, actually focus on a specific class and just get leveled up in that, and, like, fuck, now I don't know anything about herbology. Yeah, and fail your uh, potions class and get stuck in detention with Snape. Or actually, the potions yeah, teacher's yeah, gonna, gonna be. Say, Snape's not gonna be, because yeah. this is in the 50s, I believe. Uh, it's in the 1800s. Oh, 1800s? Oh, okay. oh so early times. Yeah. Uh, well... Early well, times in air yeah. quotes. Early from our perspective, not, not from, from the those. magical universes. No. Mm, yes, the early times. Um, but yeah, uh, we also got not like any information about the game itself, but a teaser trailer for uh, God of War Ragnarok. And yeah. given that the... I keep wanting to say the original one, but the original one is God of War 1, which is decades ago. The original of the soft reboot series. Yeah, the soft, first of the soft reboot was the most recent game that I've 100 percented and really fucking enjoyed playing. I'm definitely looking forward to Ragnarok. Uh, on the uh, non-PlayStation side of things, though, we also got uh, some other very interesting announcements. Monster Hunter announced two more games coming to the Switch. Whether it's going to be on other things, uh, we don't know at this moment, but we're getting Monster Hunter Rise, which is a very like Japanese aesthetic that they're making. The whole thing is now one big open world that you traverse. It's not just like, going to different zones and loading in the maps. I imagine that one will stick on the Switch. Because, just because of the graphic quality, it looks like it's meant to be a portable game. Could be. And, but and the Switch is home console, but also portable console. That's fair, but they've also, a lot of times, ported uh, Monster Games over to other things when people weren't really expecting it. So I can see this being ported at some point, but for now I can see it being like kind of like a timed exclusive situation. Yeah, I suspect it'll be at the very least timed exclusive. Uh, and then we also got Stories 2 announced, so the continuation of that one that kind of fizzled out in North America initially. <laughs> Yeah, because, what, it was released here, but they only updated it for Japan? Pretty much. Yeah, it was... They updated the game, but it was the DLC well, stuff right. was specifically what yeah. only got released in Japan. All the post-release stuff only came out for uh, Japan. Which is kind of important for the longevity of a Monster Hunter game. Yes. Yes. Uh, I don't know if we've talked about it, but I think Falcon and Winter Soldier is tentative for November. Black I mean, Widow, it's still saying 2020, and we're running out of 2020. <laughs> we're kind of running out of... Uh, runway here for them to take off of that show yeah because at this point i believe falcon and winter soldier should have already been out and we'd be approaching wandavision yeah uh so hopefully they just use the wandavision date for falcon and winter soldier at the very least yeah and that and that's if that's the case then we're going to see that everything got shifted over not just the movies yeah which also makes sense because with wandavision as we know was being so closely tied to two the doctor strange movie you kind of don't want to have those be a year apart so you very <laughs> wait a second yeah I'm definitely looking forward to uh, Black Widow coming out in November. Christopher Nolan kind of did his thing and released Tenet and said, fuck it, we're releasing new movies. And then it was kind of like someone jumping into a pool and everyone else just fucking watching instead of jumping in with him. Kind of slowly opening the floodgates. Christopher Nolan saved cinema? Hopefully. (laughs) Or at least the Disney. He saved Disney. Yeah. Uh, We also got the fascinating press release from George Lucas saying that he wants to take over full creative control of the Star Wars universe and the fun realization everyone had reading that of like that'd be cool but also there's no fucking way in hell Disney lets it happen. 
Well, I think we're at a point where a lot of people have kind of forgiven him for the prequels. I mean, to be fair, we like to make jokes about it, but the prequels were the prime example of him having full creative control over the Star Wars universe. Everything else, some sort of studio head has come in and given him a little bit more direction. And you gotta admit, there was some memorable stuff in them. Duel of Fates. Duel of Fates, 100%. Yeah. It, you and McGregor, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. I will say right now, and any time fucking the prequels comes up in conversation, if I have to sit through the entire prequels just to watch the Duel of Fates, that is worth it 100% I mean, you don't have time. to watch through all of it because you just yeah. have to watch like the first hour. I'm just saying, if someone forces me to watch through all of it, I'm still saying that's a worth it exchange. And Revenge of the Sith is still a very strong movie, even because it gets, I feel like it gets a lot of like shade thrown at it just because of what it follows. Because yeah. one was very messy and all over the place, had some cool things. Two was kind of similar in there because it just was had creepy Anakin, which is a little unnerving in the movie. It's like, mm, stop looking at me like that, like this. I enjoy how every time Star Wars comes up in conversation, we go down a rabbit hole. <laughs> That's all I wanted to say. George Lucas wants creative control back. Disney isn't going to let it happen, even though it might be pretty cool if they did. Because there's always a bigger fish. God damn it. And Disney's the bigger fish in this situation. Anyways, we have one other big thing to go over before we do get into the uh, episode itself, and that is, we kind of left some things open with Tenet last time. Yeah, we uh, we sat down, we thought about it, and we think we figured out Kat's timeline in uh, the car chase scene. So we're going to get very simple with this. Kat's timeline is she gets knocked out at the warehouse by her husband, Seder. Backwards, Seder carries her, or kidnaps her, back to the car chase, where he passes her off to the protagonist... Who then gets captured by forward-moving Seder, who then takes her back to the warehouse, and then starts going backwards, and does the whole thing over again. Her timeline is a straight fucking line, and just don't worry about it. Yeah, that's all you need to know. It's solved. Yeah, and I'm just gonna say, that's what I thought it was originally when I first watched it, but you guys going back and forth saying, no, that can't be it, there has to be something else. You just completely confused me about that whole (laughs) thing. It's not so much that it can't work out that way, it's just that... As I said during our discussion in Tenet, anytime uh, inverted inter or inverted objects interact with non-inverted objects or inverted people interact with non-inverted people, the logic of it breaks the fuck down. And I just yeah. needed to address that fact. But with that, we can get into something that's a little bit more straightforward and fun to understand for everybody. Fucking hopefully. I don't <laughs> want another Tenet episode on our hands. We're talking about Tenet again. <laughs> well, it does start with a T. <laughs> So, for this one, we decided to do kind of like a themed episode, uh, and we want to do a bit more throughout the year, so be ready for that. But, this one, since it's September, is back-to-school theme, and we're talking about the best fictional teacher. So, all of us, I believe, has picked a teacher who we think is the best fictional teacher, who is going to go into this battle royale of sorts, and we're going to prove why our teachers are the best. Now, I completely forgot about the best part. Uh Uh-oh. But... Okay. I still feel that the teacher I selected is really high up there, if not the best. So we have two great teachers and one kind of okay One teacher. that's still really great. Alright. And we'll kick your ass if you don't say so. That is not my idea of a great teacher. <laughs> I don't want a teacher who needs to be consulate praise or else he'll physically assault me in class. That is not my idea of a good teacher. <laughs> But did Matt fucking pick, like, the teacher from Battle Royale? It's just the teacher that, like, there to send his students off to die and, like, beat the shit out of one of them? In fact, I'm pretty sure he kills at least three of those students. All because they made fun of him one day. But does he teach them if he sends them off to Battle Royale? He's not doing anything. He teaches them before he sends them off to Battle Royale. And technically he's sending them to their death as a lesson in itself. Fair enough. No, I did not choose him. 
Well, let's go around and see what everyone picked then. Yeah. All right. You're hosting Keith. Do you want to introduce your teacher first? So I did actually pick a teacher that is badass and will beat the shit out of his students if he has to. I picked Indiana Jones. Good choice. Professor Jones. That belongs in a museum, Jones. That belongs in a museum. Now let me blow it up with Nazi faces. Who hates Jones. snakes. And then put it in a warehouse to never be seen by human hands again. That Indiana Jones. Yes. yes. Uh, I also chose a professor not because he teaches in university, but because he's from good old jolly England where they call their teachers professors. And I chose Professor Remus Lupin from the Harry Potter series. Oh, another nice teacher. Another nice teacher. He's also a werewolf, which might be a detracting point now that I bring it up, but we'll get there. We'll I, talk about it. To be fair, we, I'm pretty sure so far we have two detracting points that are very clear for each character. <laughs> yes. I think we discussed Matt's detracting point before we discussed his professor, too. And uh, the teacher I chose, being the anime fan that I am, is a character from Full Metal Alchemist, Izumi Curtis. The one who taught the main characters, Edward and Alphonse Elric, how to do alchemy. And uh, she just likes to call herself a housewife. She's just a loving housewife. So not a teacher. She's also a teacher of alchemy. She just doesn't choose students very often. And she's also really good at martial arts. Okay, well... <laughs> the important we'll factors of a teacher. <laughs> yes, a teacher does not like to interact with students and does not take on students all that often. Also very oh, no. capable of kicking ass. My two main qualities in a teacher. Not, not to nitpick, Matt, but I think you picked a sensei. <laughs> The caller teacher. <laughs> Alright, so... Pros and cons? I think we should just get right into it and think why all of our uh, teachers are the best. So I'll start off, obviously. So Dr. Jones, Indiana Jones. He's quite, got quite the interesting story. Uh, he takes place... He's a professor. Uh, and the mo bulk of the story takes place between the years of 1935 and 1957. I know a lot of people are going to get upset when I start talking about the end of that life cycle. But there is also another movie coming, which I did want to point out, because that's going to be interesting. The concept you have of, you know, the rugged adventurer tomb diver is pretty much Indiana Jones. Yep. He's been copied by the characters of Tomb Raider, Lara Croft, and Nathan Drake. Anyone who does this type of stuff is usually based off of the same capacity. Played by Harrison Ford, who fits the role pretty well. Because he also, I feel like, he wasn't playing Indiana Jones. He Indiana, was Indiana Jones. Yeah, I don't think Indiana Jones is a character played by Harrison Ford. I think Indiana Jones just is Harrison yeah, Ford. Some of Indiana Jones' most iconic scenes were just ad-libbed by Harrison Ford. The fucking scene where Buddy has the sword in the market and Indiana Jones just pulls out a gun and shoots him and walks away. Yeah. That's just Harrison Ford being sick and not wanting to do choreography on set. But it's also very Indiana Jones. Also, Matt, that's going to be a negative going towards your teacher that knows martial arts. I don't see how that's a negative. <laughs> oh, he's going to get shot. <laughs> Let's clarify, no part of this discussion is who would win in a fight between these teachers. because oh, it would totally be Indiana Jones. Yeah, your guy's a, a magical werewolf, but that hasn't stopped Indiana Jones before. I'm not saying my guy would win a fight. I'm saying no part of being a good teacher involves how efficiently you can kill a man. <laughs> Maybe not at your school. Actually, it probably doesn't impact in my school. <laughs> Fuck. So, the big bulk, I'm just going to ignore the adventures of young Indiana Jones because he's not a professor in these ones. Yeah, it doesn't matter. The first instance we get of him being a professor is actually the video game, which is The Emperor's Tomb, which I didn't know this before, but actually leads directly in to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which is the second movie, but it's a prequel, so it's actually before all of them. 
Of course. Yeah, because the ending, the guy that you meet and ends up helping out through uh, Emperor's Tomb, is actually the guy who's at the beginning of Temple of Doom, who ends up getting shot. And he actually mentions meeting that guy, and he's like, no, i got to sleep with the lady first. And then he heads off. Indiana Jones stuff. Yes. So, Indiana Jones is a professor of archaeology, and he is very strong at believing that things belong in a museum. But the funny thing about this is, even though that's very much quoted, he only really says that in, I believe, two movies. And it, uh, it, uh, if it's if I'm wrong, it's Lost Ark and Last Crusade, but it might just be Last Crusade. That he says in two different time uh, time periods. Yeah, because uh, his whole th- he's essentially when he first starts, he's a perfect Boy Scout. He does everything by the book, and he'll do whatever it takes to protect things, which is exemplified by the Cross of Coronado, which is kind of like his focal point of. It's also his origin of how he gets the fedora for some reason. <laughs> Yep. Because he sees, like, a bunch of crooks that are, like, slimy tomb raiders. And like, oh, we got this, and we're going to have it forever because, for some reason, we're not going to sell it. And they don't sell it. He ends up chasing after, gets this huge thing. We get to see him use whip for the first time. And he ends up doing all this stuff for the good, gets dicked over. And then the guy's like, ha, sucks to be you. Gives him the hat. And that's the Indiana Jones origin story. <laughs> so, uh, Indiana at the beginning is very anti-hero and kind of, like, jaded to the world. Where he's trading priceless artifacts for diamonds and poison, technically. But that's a whole different thing. Don't worry about it. Yeah. But he's essentially what you'd a picture of what a proper Batman would be. Because he's professor by certain period of the year when he has to, by obligation, teach. And... In order to maintain tenure, he teaches that exact amount of time and no more. And then the rest of his time he spends just kind of doing James Bond stuff all around the world, destroying priceless artifacts and trying to put them in a museum or make money from them. Yep. So the the, the main stories we have here are Emperor's Tomb, where he goes to China to get the tomb of the first emperor of China. And it's to get the Heart of the Dragon, which is a magical mirror that apparently does something. He beats up a dragon in this game. Nice. Uh, we have the Temple of Doom. It's the something stones. I can't remember what it is. It's been a while. Which, honestly, Temple, uh, Temple of Doom might be the most iconic Indiana Jones. Uh, at this point, he's still kind of like this dark anti-hero who just kind of stumbles into a situation and has to work his way out. And we kind of see him become a better character. Then we have Lost Ark, where he finds the Ark of the Covenant and fights Nazis. And the rest of the movies are kind of him fighting Nazis. But he's doing all this for science and archaeology because he is actively trying to stop bad guys from getting these things or putting things in museums. Yep. There's a really interesting arc where he goes from the anti-hero to, like, the good guy. Like, the world around him becomes corrupted as he becomes good as we see as it goes on. Uh, but essentially what it comes down to is he teaches, he's an archaeologist, and apparently he's such a good teacher that his classrooms are packed with people who can't just sit, they have to stand, and... Yeah, students giving him the fuck eyes. Yeah, students. Yeah. So, there are a couple issues I take with Iffy. Or not Iffy. <laughs> Indy. Indy, goddammit. As a professor. Uh, there's the one, the fact that his students clearly want to fuck him and are under the impression that if they very aggressively hint at him that they want to fuck him, it'll probably go somewhere. So I mean, it probably did. So I'm of the opinion that he has fucked a student in the past at least once. Well, there's the whole thing with Miriam, which is the main love interest through all four movies. Because first it's Willie in Temple of Doom, uh, and she's kind of like the annoying showgirl. Yep. And then it's Marion, who is kind of just female Indiana Jones, who ends up marrying in the fourth movie. Yeah. And then in the third one is Elsa, which is evil Indiana Jones. 
So, in addition to this, my other main issue is beyond the whole him destroying priceless artifacts after declaring the fact that they belong in a museum, or just giving them to shadowy government operations so that they can hide them in a warehouse forever. And to be fair, I don't think he got to choose that, because at the yeah. end of the movie, it's like, they don't even know what they got, and they're just going to put it in a fucking warehouse. Yeah. yeah. I mean, who wants that Ark of the Covenant in a museum? Sure, it looks nice, but... God, you keep that's... it behind fucking bulletproof glass and no one can open it and let out the face-melting goop. Obviously, Matthew. You're not allowed to touch and play with fucking priceless artifacts in most museums. <laughs> anyway, My favorite part of the museum is the mummy interaction portion. <laughs> fucking makes good jerky. <laughs> Indiana Jones sees that the Ark of the Covenant is real and will melt Nazis' faces off for being evil. <laughs> but still makes fun of someone in a later movie for talking about old wives' tales and ghost stories. Yeah. He sees that the Holy Grail is real and that, by extension, Jesus was a real person who had magical powers and could heal the sick and thus not a large jump to assume he is, in fact, the Son of God and thus God is real and yet continues to make fun of religious people in future subsequent movies. <laughs> I mean, aliens is proof God. He's just like the quintessential example of someone being given irrefutable scientific evidence and then just being like, Fuck that, I've got my own beliefs. Except, instead of saying, fuck science beliefs, I have religion, he says, fuck religion, I've seen irrefutable proof, but I'm a man of science, so I don't want to believe what you're telling me. Well, it's funny too, because he pretty much fights, in order, uh, a zombie dragon, um, the boogeyman, for all intents and purposes, because he kidnaps children and is going to eat them, maybe. Uh, we get literal the power of God, <laughs> controlled by Nazis. Yep. And an old swordsman with a cup that makes you immortal. It's like the opposite of the Scooby-Doo effect, where in Scooby-Doo it always looks like something mystical, and then it's revealed to just be normal people fucking around, and it's like, oh, I guess magic doesn't really exist. Except for Scooby-Doo movies, I know this is not what we're talking about, but every <laughs> Scooby-Doo movie twists that on its head, and it's like, fuck it, magic is real, and that's what we're dealing with now. But it doesn't affect them. Anyways, fucking Indy has the opposite effect, where every time he goes into it, he's like, oh, it's just Nazis being evil, and it's just... Regular people doing shitty things. Oh, wait, magic's real. Okay. <laughs> to be fair, it's uh, Eastern Asian indigenous people, then Nazis, then communists. But still, in each case, he's given ample evidence of the fact that magic is real. Like, in the first one, he sees that you can, in fact, rip someone's chest or heart out of their chest without breaking the skin. To be and fair, Indiana Jones might have just been okay with that because that might be a move he has ready already. <laughs> fair. I don't know. I just... I think there's some shady shit that he should be telling the world about, even if the government, like, shady government institution will hide the artifacts. I feel like he could at least tell the world that God is real and hell exists and they should be prepared for that. And that he has Hitler's signature. Yeah. <laughs> In the diary that tells you where to get the Holy Grail. Yeah. Of course. Alright, so... That's another sign of how good he is as an archaeologist and a teacher. He's able to solve all this puzzle so easily. I actually was going to do Professor Layton, which then I was like, I don't know enough about Professor Layton. And then, wait a second, Indiana Jones is just a more gruff Professor Layton. Yeah, he's just a more willing-to-punch-a-Nazi-in-the-face Professor Layton. Are you saying Professor Layton wouldn't punch a Nazi in the face? I'm saying... What are you implying about Professor Layton? That he's a Nazi sympathizer, obviously. <laughs> no, I'm saying I don't think he's physically capable of punching anyone in the face. I may be missing some deep cuts from Professor Layton, but... Oh, you are. Okay. Let's talk about so, another professor. All right. So I'll, I'll go, yep. and you can you can take the third spot, Matthew. Yeah. 
since yours is gonna have some fucking talking about, as I guess both of us are gonna have some yeah. fucking talking about. So, uh, Professor Remus Lupin. Oh, that was a bad thing. Uh, first thing we have to address is he teaches the class of defense against the dark arts. Uh, we see all of six years of Harry's experiences, and that means we see six different teachers teaching this class. One tortures her students and outright refuses to teach the class. Not a great teacher. Two of them actively attempt to murder their students. Not great teachers. Uh, I differ. One attempts to erase the memories of his students. And one just straight up hates the fucking protagonist. So the fact that Remus Lupin is the only one who's actually genuinely kind to our fucking student. Our, to the students in general. Is already a big fucking plus over every other teacher we see teaching this class. Also, in the movies, the only one to actually teach Defense Against the Dark Arts. Yes. I mean, to be fair, Quail was probably teaching Defense Against well, the Dark Arts. True, but we, we never see him. Well, you don't get it till second year, I don't think. Uh, no, we... Alright, so... Yes, in the movies, Remus Lupin is the only one we actually take the time to show a Defense Against the Dark Arts class. Technically not on the only one, because we do also see Alistair Moody... Not so much teaching them how to defend themselves against the Dark Arts, but we do see him teaching them about the Dark Arts, so technically he also teaches in the movies. I mean, to be fair, it wasn't Moody, though. Yeah, it wasn't Moody. That, that, was, just, Coach Judy. that was just a random person who came into the classroom and tried to teach. <laughs> yes. To be fair, according to Harry's inner monologue, one of the better two teachers he's had, top two teachers, is a random guy who showed up in class, tried to teach, and also kind of tried to murder Harry. Fun stuff. Um... But yes, uh, Lupin's also the only one we see who never fucking plays favorites. All of the other teachers we see play favorites with their own students at some point in time. To be fair, if you're being played favorite by Flitwick, you deserve it. Yes, that's true. If you're being played favorite by Flitwick, it's because you're smarter than everyone else in the class. And that's not really playing favorite, that's just being better. Uh, but yeah, we see other teachers play favorites because they're students in their class or because they're Snape and they're in love with Malfoy. Fun stuff like that. Um... Even though Lupin is, like, the godfather, or one of the two godfathers, or kind of uncle of Harry, the closest we get to see that is outside of class time, he'll teach him a special type of magic to deal with an active problem he has in his life. So right there, bonus points for fucking Lupin, because he takes time during office hours to teach students about things that they need to help solve problems they're dealing with in their real life in that exact moment in time. I mean, Slughorn did the same thing with Voldemort. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess you could technically say Slughorn did teach Voldemort how to be immortal, and that's bonus points for Slughorn right there. He was helping him with something in his life that he was dealing with. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, the fact that he had to die at some point. <laughs> he didn't want to have to deal with that problem, so Slughorn helped him find a useful workaround. Uh, the main argument against Lupin would probably be that he is a werewolf, and thus is putting his students in danger. Uh... He refuses to teach because it's actually said in the books that he was asked to come beforehand but was really reluctant to come teach at the school because of the fact that he's a werewolf and he knows that that's bad for the students. So he only was willing to come once he knew he had a well-set-up plan for how to deal with it and to keep himself under control and make sure no students would come in danger. And guess who didn't fault properly? <laughs> the moment he has one incident where things go wrong and he fucks up and puts students in danger... He immediately withdraws. He's like, nope, I'm not going to teach your students anymore. I don't want to keep putting them in danger. And Harry's like, ah, oh, but you're a great teacher. And he's like, yeah, but no, I put students in danger. I'm taking myself out of this fucking situation. Maybe you should just teach them over Zoom. And even if this was a one-time situation, this 
the parents of these students are not going to like hearing that their teacher is a werewolf. Yeah. I so, still think Wizard Zoom fixes this. Yeah, if, if Wizard Zoom exists... Wizard Zoom's got to exist in some way. It's definitely Crystal Balls. Yeah, it, it exists in some way. I think he would be a fantastic teacher if you just have better precautions set up. Like, just silver bars set up in the front of the classroom and he cannot pass. <laughs> okay, now I need all of the students to hold one silver cross. Uh, yeah, so I think he is a phenomenal teacher for the reasons stated above. He literally teaches Harry one of his two signature spells. He knows fucking Expelliarmus, and he knows Expecto Patronum, and fuck all else throughout the movies does he actually use. So, the fact that Remus taught him one of his two prime spells is another point for him being a great teacher. Fair enough. Who's your teacher, Matthew? My teacher, as I said, from the anime Full Metal Alchemist, is a character named Izumi Curtis, who is a master of alchemy, and was an alchemy teacher before... She lost the life of her son, who was stillborn. There was a whole incident where, uh... Jesus, that got dark real fucking quick. Alright. Yeah. So, uh, basically the whole premise of this world is that instead of studying science, people study alchemy. Which is kind of like chemistry, but more... I mean, alchemy's a science. Well, yeah, true, but... Alchemy absolutely was a science back in, uh... I mean, it's still like, a yeah. science yeah. as baking. Yeah, I'm just saying, it but, yeah. was a regularly practiced science. But yeah, studies... And all research has gone towards alchemy as a thing. And it's a whole process of transmuting one thing to another, and they have this whole law of equivalent exchange where you can only get something of equal value for what you put in. So what do you have to put in to get a human soul, Matthew? Um, well, I don't know, because all of the formulas that they ever say in the show are completely wrong. But, you um, know the formula for human soul? No. But, uh... Um, so kind of sound like you do, but... No. But um, uh, Izumi tried to bring back her child and failed and lost a bunch of her organs, and so she's kind of sick right now. I mean, she, I mean she's, she's already losing to us because we got all our organs between us. Yeah, <laughs> both of us. I, as far as I know, the werewolf might even have extra organs. <laughs> but that doesn't mean they're a better teacher. So I would argue a teacher who's constantly collapsing due to a lack of organs is not a great teacher. <laughs> You already said she's very sick due to a lack of organs. <laughs> I don't know if that's the correct like well, explanation she, for what you are when you're missing organs. <laughs> she's, she's missing part of her organs, anyway. Is it contagious? Lack of organ? No. Okay, that'd be a real problem yeah. for me. I think the proper term would be dying, not sick. <laughs> <laughs> Internal bleeding. I know she I'm constantly dying because of my lack of organs. She gets kind of fixed later on, so anyway, that's fine. <laughs> but, um, the uh, Ed and Alphonse come to her at some point in their life to learn alchemy because they lost their mother and they kind of want to try to bring her back. But, uh, she doesn't know that, so she finally relents to them begging and teaches them for six months. But instead of teaching just alchemy, she also teaches martial arts because while she's a master of alchemy, she also supports the whole ideology that even if you can do something with alchemy if you alchemy if you can do it with your hands do it with your hands just do it by your own hard work if you can do it that way all right so she's one of those teachers who goes off book and preaches about her own personal beliefs to her students uh kind of but also not because she was also right in teaching them martial arts because now they can defend themselves because they grow up in a country that's essentially eternally at war for as long as they can remember. 
Speaking of which, can we jump back a second? Yes. Um, you said she gets her organs back later on in the story. How she, exactly she, does that she, work she, out? She doesn't get them back. Okay, so how does but, she get fixed? How so, does she get someone else's organs into her? <laughs> so someone ends up rearranging her organs to make them function easier and have her have an easier time breathing, essentially. I don't think that's how that works. I really don't think that's how that works, but all right. Uh, that's not even how it normally works in this world, but because of special situations and the overarching plot of the series, it worked. All right. Uh, second question I have about the things you said. Mm-hmm. Um, so she learned alchemy and tried to use it to bring back her stillborn daughter, and it went really poorly for her. Students yes. come to her to learn how to bring back their dead they, mother. They don't explain to her that that's what they're doing, but that's mm-hmm. what they do. And she teaches them alchemy. Do they then go on to try and bring back their dead mother? They do. And does one of them lose his entire body and become a suit of armor as a part of this? Yes. That's pretty sick. Weird. I feel like I've watched all of one episode of this series. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, yeah, and which one? <laughs> the first one. <laughs> and suffice it to say, when Izumi finds out that they did that, she royally kicks their asses. Because she told them specifically, like, that's a huge taboo in the alchemy world. So not only did this teacher teach them skills that got one of them to lose their body without properly explaining the reasons why they shouldn't be doing what they're trying to do, she then physically assaults students who have recently lost a body because well, they did something that caused them to lose a body? That wasn't recently. It was more like ten years later. Okay, but still. Because after they left her, they... Matt, these are feeling like a lot of cons and not so many pros. <laughs> but go on. I'm willing to hear you out. She beat them up. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. I agree with this one. Continue. She She beat them up because she cares about them. She... No, 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 no. We're not just brushing past that fucking comment. So she's... So she's a deadbeat dad assaulting children because she loves them. That's what you're saying. No, she <laughs> she only hurts me because she loves me. When they were with her and she was teaching them, she came to appreciate them and love them as her own mm-hmm. child that she never had. And so when she found out that they did something so incredibly stupid as risking their lives to try to bring back someone who's already dead, she was kind of furious. And that's like her one... One of her bad sides is that she is very quick to anger and really intimidating when she's angry but other than that she's always happy calm helpful and always willing to help people who need it i'm really looking forward to the second half of this conversation (laughs) so any other fine points you want to bring up about your teacher no no just that she's really effective in her teaching ways all right because the students she taught became the best alchemists in the country cool well, uh, we actually ended up with quite the diverse uh, group of teachers here. I know for the longest time, me and Peter were making hints at each other, and we might have thought that we had the same character for the longest time. Yeah, we kept asking a bunch of, like, narrowing down questions, only to give the same answers, and apparently Remus Lupin has a lot in common <laughs> with Indiana Jones. I think the fact that w- they were both professors kind of threw us off more than it should have. You know what the big uh, dis- uh, disadvantage Lupin has against uh, Indiana Jones, though, right? He has a gun? He's alive. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> that too. 
So, uh, we clearly have three teachers. No way to narrow it down at this point as to which one's the best and which one's the worst. So, perhaps we should consider how the different teachers would handle situations that our teachers handled. So, that was a very poorly phrased sentence. We're going to talk about situations that, for instance, Indiana Jones went through and then talk about how both Remus Lupin and whatever the fucker name was would handle those similar situations. And we'll do it for Mm -hmm. all three of our teachers. Yeah. Sure. Cool. Keith, describe some situations that fucking Indiana Jones has been through. Okay. Uh, So for the first situation, uh, we're going to use the opening to the Temple of Doom where he's making the deal with a priceless artifact for the diamond and then we find out that the drink he just drank has poison in it and the only way to get the antidote back is to give back the diamond. Peter? (laughs) Well, given that magic is a thing in Remus Lupin's world and making potions is a thing, and while he wasn't a potion professor, he was quite adept at making potions in his time, I feel like he would keep the diamond and whip up an antidote for the poison and just be like, alright, have a nice day, chaps. I don't know, this poison took effect pretty quickly because in the fight that was going on, he was starting to show the effects of the poison. It's true. Puss comes to self, he might end up giving the diamond back, but I think he would probably try and magic his way out of the situation and make an antidote. I'm assuming Mm -hmm. yours would murder a bunch of people and then just move on with her day? No. No. She'd probably use alchemy to make a diamond look-alike, give the look-alike over, and... What would she make the diamond look like out of? There's no sources of copper in the room other than her own organs. You mean carbon? Carbon, that's what I said. uh, I meant not copper. There's a lot of carbon around. Yeah, in her own organs. She's just going to turn more of them into diamonds. Also, isn't she like of the, like, you do it by your own hands and not alchemy? If you can, she's going (laughs) to do that, get the antidote, because she will not last long with poison in her body and her organs. (laughs) And then when she has the alchemy uh, yeah, antidote... That's the answer to what uh, Matt's teacher would do. She would die because this was what I quit her on her much. body. So she'd have to do that quickly. <laughs> and when she gets the antidote, then she kicks ass. I'm just yeah. imagining like, these guys like, oh, we're going to give him the poison and he's going to give us back the diamond. And like, she just drinks it and immediately collapses. <laughs> Honestly, that's what would happen. Alright, uh, I got a situation for Remus Lupin. This was not one of my prepared situations, but after hearing about Matt's... Is it turning into a werewolf? Because the answer is it doesn't. (laughs) Um, After hearing about Matt's teacher a little bit more, I just knew this was a situation I had to bring up because I know how she would react, and I want to hear it. So, uh, at an early point in uh, Remus Lupin's career as professor for Harry Potter, uh, He explains to Harry that Sirius Black is probably trying to kill him and he shouldn't be hunting for Sirius Black. And then in the middle of the night, he discovers Harry Potter with a map that would lead directly to him out hunting for Sirius Black. What do you think your teacher would do in this situation? Because I have a feeling one of them would kick the shit out of Harry Potter. Uh, Yes, very much so. What would Indiana Jones do in that situation, Keith? Honestly, he probably wouldn't have encountered him because he'd be too busy making the fuck eyes at one of the students. True. He'd probably be fucking like Cho Chang in another room. He probably wouldn't, wouldn't really care all that much anyway. Yeah. It's like, I warned you. It's your fault if something uh, happens. Actually, counterpoint. He'd he might give Harry a gun. He'd probably no. steal the map because that could also lead to priceless oh. artifacts. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I'm taking the map. Yeah. Here, take this gun. 
This will protect you against the the killer. I just I need this to find treasure. I just imagine the situation of the Battle of Hogwarts with Voldemort doing his whole feel and this Indiana Jones poster shoots him in the head. It's like problem solved. I'll take that wand. It's apparently an artifact or something. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna put this in a museum or something. But if uh, someone has some diamonds, <laughs> I might be willing to change. Matt, do you have a scenario for us? You're in a military facility overrun by zombies and you kind of burst through a wall and overarm throw one into a spike already the situation i can tell you just would not be in it kind of like turn into a werewolf what do you do actually i'm pretty sure indiana jones is already in the situation yeah, indiana yeah. jones is in this situation i don't think remus lupin is overarm throwing zombies yeah, into but spikes. if he's in that situation bursts into a room full of zombies Essentially zombies. Sure. How does he deal with that? When there's plenty of uh, people who are almost about to be dead. Well, I can tell you there's going to be a bunch of people that are also dead now, but also all the zombies are gone. That's absolutely how Indiana Jones handles it. (laughs) Except that the people who are about to be dead are going to die, but then also the zombies will die as a part of it. Um... Well, given that you said almost zombies, I'm going to have to go with the almost zombies from Harry Potter, which are Inferni, which are dead corpses that have been resurrected through dark magic. Kind of close, actually. Uh, and the Inferni are well documented to be terrified of fucking fire, so Remus Lupin conjures some fucking fire and scorts them away from the people who are almost dead, and then probably turns into a werewolf and bites them, and then they're not dead, but now they're werewolves, which means they have extra organs, unlike your bitch. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> we just start giving out extra organs to everybody. <laughs> also, I think now might be a good time that Indiana Jones might technically be immortal. Yeah, he, he did drink from the Holy Chalice, which... A Holy Grail, not Holy Chalice. Yeah. Uh, which should confer the powers of immortality onto him. And, and some people argue that that's why the fridge scene actually makes sense. Because where he's immortal, even though an old person of his age would die in that blood defiant line fridge getting blasted by a nuclear bomb, he did because he's immortal. So if we were to rank our different teachers on... Immortality? Survivability. Let's call it survivability. We have... Remus Lupin is already dead. Your character, from what I understand, is on death's door at all times. And uh, Keats, who will never die. This is just moving slowly and slowly towards that battle that I'm going to win. Well, that's only at the beginning that she's missed... Well, she's missing her organs, but uh, she was fixed. So she doesn't really have her health issue problem anymore. If there's one thing I understand about the whole Full Metal Alchemist universe, it's anytime you use alchemy to fuck with a human body, it never goes as in intended so even if her organs have been fixed i don't think she lives forever because of it she won't live forever no yes which indy will yeah indy will i'm not i'm not not disputing that fact i'm just disputing the fact that she's always at death's door because she's not anymore fair she used to be at death's door and now is just an average human being pretty much yeah whereas my guy used to have extra organs and is now dead yeah. My headcanon is now 100% werewolves have extra organs. <laughs> I don't know which organs, but they have extra organs. <laughs> I can accept that. It's probably like two stomachs. Two stomachs, a heart and a half. <laughs> no, not the organs they're eating. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's another one for you guys. We'll go with a classic one. 
the end of the last crusade, Indiana Jones has to solve three puzzles to get into the room with the Holy Grail. The Penitent Man Shall Pass, which is the one with the chainsaws that, you know, knights in the medieval oh, time yeah. set up. Uh, the Leap of Faith. And then finally choosing the chalice. Now, the teachers in their shoes, they would also have access to the diary, right? They would know those three yeah, clues. They would know the three clues. The pendant man shall pass. Uh, you must take a leap of faith. And I don't know if there's a specific clue for I don't the think grail, there was a clue for that. But it's just a room full of grails. And then the old night man's like, you gotta choose the right one. Choose wisely. <clears throat> and it's a good thing you didn't pick Dumbledore because he would have fucking drank out of all of them for some reason. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that Lupin makes it to the chalice room. <laughs> I don't think most people make it past the penitential pass. No. Because it's a very weird one. I want to point out about the penitent man shall pass uh, puzzle. That's clearly designed to weed out Muslims because of the fact that when he like uh, gets into like a kneeling position, uh, Saw passes right over top of him to make sure he's not still standing. But then one passes directly in front of him to see if he's like doing the prostrated form of prayer that Muslims do. So... That was 100% designed to make sure that whoever was getting through this room is 100% Christian. And but you also have, to, also have to ask, how did Andy Jones also know he had to do a ninja flip afterwards? I don't know. That's not a form of penitence. <laughs> I, I don't understand. I actually don't understand Christianity very well, because that man kneeled to pray and then flipped. Yep. So yours, Matt. Do you think she makes it to the chalice room and collects the correct grail? Uh, if the surprise saw blade that comes out of nowhere doesn't catch her off guard, then... <laughs> she could use alchemy to get through, yes, easily. Uh, what but, then, the... but then when she gets to the grail room, she'd have no idea what to do and then just leave. Yeah, yeah. I guess you kind of have to understand Jesus to get the last part. Yeah, I don't think... I think both of ours have the potential to make it to the grail room. I don't think either one of ours uh, correctly guessed the cup in the grail yeah, room. Yeah, no, not at all. So, uh, we got... Well, we didn't address how Lupin would deal with the Penitent Mansion Pass puzzle. I... <sighs> My opinion would be that he would fucking die. I I think he might be able to think of the, like, kneeling part and understanding that he's not going to get cleaved in half by the middle one. I don't think he does the ninja flip to survive <laughs> no. the second half of like, that. If Izumi sees the hallway full of moving saw blades, she'd probably just alchemy the hallway right away to stop the saw blades. And then uh, the uh, leap of faith. Do you guys remember this one? Yeah. Yeah, it's... She'd, yeah. It's an invisible bridge. Well, the bridge... It's not invisible. It's perfectly in a style that it matches with the far yes. wall, so it looks like there's no bridge. Yeah. She'd probably... Go home. Uh, if she absolutely had to get across, she'd alchemy a bridge. I was going to say, she could alchemy a bridge across. That was yeah. not a really an issue for her. I, I was just trying to think of if there was some way she'd be able to do it without using alchemy. Pretty sure Lupin would also just magic himself across and not yeah, worry about the lack of bridge. Yeah. That's true. That's how he gets past the saws as well. He just apparates past the saws. <laughs> It's just him seeing a puzzle and being like, I don't want to figure this out. Snap. Why would I feel like there's a possibility now that your answer to all these puzzles is going to be magic? <laughs> there's a distinct possibility my answer to all these puzzles will be magic. And Matt's slightly leaning towards just alchemy for the answer. Well, yeah, but I have to think if there's any plausible way for her to make it through without using alchemy. Because if there's a way for her to make it through without it, she's going to do it. So if she believes her reflexes are fast enough to get her through the saw blades, she's going to go through that without alchemy, but... What if she alchemy together all the cups into one cup and drank from that? Does that one count? I think I would still die because more of them are incorrect than the one that is correct. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the, like, killing nature of the incorrect cups would overpower the living nature of the correct cup. Otherwise, 
the Dumbledore method would work, and you just grab all the cups and drink from them as quickly as possible, and hope you hit the fucking Holy Grail. But you could have also totally saved the knight from the cave when it was crumbling. <laughs> but he didn't want to leave, because uh, he's the protector of the cups. Fair. It's his purpose in life. Also, he's been in that cave for like 500-something years. I don't want to see what happens when he goes outside. He was surprised by uh, this man wearing a leather coat with a whip. <laughs> just imagine how surprised... What kind of knight are you?! Imagine how surprised he'd be to see the integration between different races. <laughs> he has some real backwards views after being inside that cave for that much time. Yeah, sure, that old man is probably very racist. Yeah. He was a crusader. <laughs> yes. He's not only racist, he's just a bigot in most senses of the word. Alright, um, second situation. So, your teacher finds out that one of their star pupils is being harassed by nightmare monsters who went to suck his soul. How does your teacher deal with that problem? Honestly, teach the student how to beat them up. Alright. If there's a way to do that. If not, alchemy them. <laughs> but since... <laughs> I have a feeling Matt's answer to every problem is alchemy them. You know, that's to solve these problems, though. Indiana Jones. I don't even know if Dementors are... Phys- are Dementors physical? Kind I... Because actually, you, you wouldn't be able to alchemy them. Because they're a living creature. You can yeah, alchemy living well, creatures. Yeah, you can. There's, there's I'm pretty sure I've seen yeah. explicit examples of living creatures being alchemy, and it never goes well. True. Mostly people. Yeah, it works pretty good when you're mixing things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just like alchemy the Dementor with candy. That'll probably make it less unpleasant. Is it physical or not? Can it pass through walls? Because no, not, it, just... it's been depicted as opening doors. So okay, because if right, because if not, you can just put it in a box, and you're good. Alchemy, a stone box around the Dementor. Now, I think you're all going to enjoy this answer because Indiana Jones is 100 percent going to fight a Dementor mano a mano with fists. Oh yeah, with fists. Yes, but here's what's going to happen: the Dementor is going to kick the shit out of his ass. Like he's going to oh, yeah, get his will ass kicked in. But by some circumstance of something going on, that Dementor will be the one that dies. Yeah, there'll be yeah. some random airplane propeller. Exactly. I just like the idea of the Dementor being the one thing, because of the fact that Indy is now immortal from drinking through the Holy Grail, a Dementor's the only thing left that can kill him, because it does actually kill him, it just sucks his soul out of his body, which is not protected by the Holy Grail. <laughs> or we find out Indiana Jones lost his soul at some point in this adventure, and the Dementor can't do anything. <laughs> yeah. It's one the of those Dementor just like hangs out and wraps his arm around, and he's like, hey, we're buds! Either there's no soul to take, or he fights the Dementor, gets his ass kicked, but the Dementor still dies. Yeah. Someone else in another room, like, happens to cast Expecto Patronum, and, like, it accidentally whizzes through the window and catches the Dementor upside the head. Dances off a mirror. Yeah. That's a thing. That That's how he'd handle that situation. He wins every fight. By losing until they're dead. <laughs> yep. Right, and a, uh, another scenario for... Uh... My teacher. Just a plain and simple one this time. No combat, no fighting whatsoever. Just two young kids appear at your door, just prostrating themselves to you and begging you to teach them. Like begging Professor Lupus to teach them, like magic, or or teaching, begging. <laughs> to, to be taught archaeology. <laughs> begging to learn archaeology. <laughs> and they're, they won't leave until you accept. I mean, Indian just accepts. He's already shown that he's full for child labor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't just teach them archaeology. He brings them along like that small Chinese shortstop. boy. Shortstop, that's his name. 
uh, brings him along on all his adventures until he dies unnecessarily. Yeah. Um, I think Lupin teaches them magic and nothing else because they didn't ask to be taught other things. <laughs> but he didn't want to be a teacher in the first place because of his werewolf nature. He probably like schedule like we meet every Friday except for once a month when I arbitrarily take the day off and you don't know why. <laughs> Two orphan kids that don't have any home? Yep. Okay. They He fucks off to the woods and leaves them in his home. Right. He's, he's a pretty caring individual. He likes to ca- take care of people. They wouldn't have nice rooms. They'd probably like sleeping in the kitchen or something. I like mean, that. he is super poor. They wouldn't have nice rooms and no. he wouldn't have a nice if, room to give them. If Loop is going to have us a library, they'd sleep in the library. I don't think Loop would have a library. I think they might be sleeping in the public library. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any more scenarios? Let's see. Another scenario. that Because like, uh, the Indiana Jones situation is perfect for these scenarios. I mm. I have a scenario where Lupin kind of fucked up. Well, not fucked up. But a sign of him not being great. I want to see if yours could potentially do better. So Lupin finds out there's a war going on and has a newborn, or no, a pregnant wife who's going into labor shortly. And it's just like, fuck it, I'm off to war. After the child is born, drags his wife away from the newborn baby. He's like, we're both going to war. Who knows, we might die, but someone else will tell our kid about how great of parents we were. How does yours handle the situation of a war brewing while they have a child at home who was just fucking born? I mean, if there's anything we've learned from Anna Jones, it's fun for the full family. He brought the baby along. Oh, he absolutely yep. brought the baby <laughs> yep. along. And Izumi would take her husband and go to war. Cool, so everyone's just all about <laughs> fucking child endangerment. Alright, yep. good. No one's better than Lupin in this situation. Temple of Doom has shortstop through the whole thing, getting stabbed, beaten, burned. Azumi's we not- also know Indy is not a great father from the whole fourth fucking movie. Yeah, and Azumi's one child is dead, and the two kids that she sees as her child because she taught them for a she while. She kicks the shit out of regular. She beats, she beats them up if they do bad things, and they also kind of joined the military, so they're there also. Uh, so, I, I want to try to get a puzzle that's not from Last Crusade or Temple of Doom. So I guess Raiders is probably another good one. It's uh, a good one of Raiders. You have the magic... Oh, no, I was thinking of Temple of Doom. <laughs> Last Crusade. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's an easy well to keep going back to. It's true. The, the, the only real thing I can think of from Raiders Lost Ark that's a good challenge is the one we're at the end with him and Marion tied up. Because it was more of an action movie than an actual, like, puzzle, puzzle movie. Puzzle song, yeah. So the part at the end where the Nazis have the Ark and they have him and Marion tied up and they're about to open the Ark. Uh, but at the time, Indiana Jones knows not to look at it when it opens, right? Kind of. Hmm. He doesn't, he doesn't know, not to, know not to look at it. He knows that anytime someone's come in contact with God's power, they tend to die. And he was warned about touching it earlier. Like at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And to be fair, I, I would say it's safe to assume that the context the other two characters would have for all these Indiana Jones puzzles, it would just be them putting the stuff together the proper way to yeah. figure it out. Yeah. See, here's the thing. I think Lupin would be capable of solving the problem. I think Lupin would absolutely tell the other person to cover their eyes and look away or whatever the fuck it is. But I also know Luf- Lupin's kind of a self-hating motherfucker and would absolutely look just in case it doesn't kill him so he can find out more about how it works. I'm thinking things like, was there a full moon during this event as well? Was that a key part of that scene? 
I'm gonna have to go back and rewatch Raiders to see if there's the fucking full moon. In which case, that changes everything but what I just said. It's probably Maul, her, then Maul the Nazis, then died of the faith-melting Nazi mm. goo. I don't think it was Nazi goo. Or God goo. Nazi-melting, Nazi-face-melting God goo. Yes. Only Nazi-melting because Indy didn't look. But, uh... Yeah, Izumi was probably also smart enough to figure out that she sh- probably shouldn't look at the whole thing. And, uh... Yeah, well that kind of still kind of leaves the whole problem of them being tied to the post. Oh yeah, she alchemies her way out of the post and turns it into a spear to stab people. Not necessarily, depending on how they're tied up. Because she can only use her al- alchemy if she can clap her hands together. If she, she can't clap her hands together... I don't think she can clap her hands together based on my memory of... Then they're they going to have out. to wait for someone to save them. <laughs> that works too. To be fair, Indiana Jones unties way out of the post after they got melted. I'm pretty sure they waited till someone showed up and yeah. saved them. <laughs> but you forget... Because I think Brody knew where, knew where they were. Indiana Jones is also a man among men, and so when they were tying him up, they just fucked up the knots and clearly didn't tie it. I think anyone else does not have the luck factor of Indiana Jones to have poorly tied That's knots. Because Indiana Jones also has a shitload of luck compared to a lot of other people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's really lucky and immortal, dear God. Yeah. That's, that's the main argument Indiana Jones has over the magic nature of our two teachers, is the fact that he is lucky enough to account for a lack of magic. <laughs> Ours have to use magic in situations that he just kind of walks through. Uh, another puzzle action now that I think about it from Raiders as well as the opening one, which is the iconic, the giant rolling stone. Well, that's a simple one. <laughs> I know it's a simple <laughs> Once again, it comes down to whether or not it happens during a full moon. Uh, this is during the day. Okay, during the day. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, I'm pretty sure Lupin just fucking apparates out of the cave the moment he sees the stone. Used alchemies. Al- alchemies of the, <laughs> the boulder to dust. Very funny. The first one I got out of YouTube was the pen and the man shall pass. <laughs> I apologize for the fact that my situation is usually he's in a trap, he's just going to leave the trap, and Matt's situa- solution is she's in a trap, she's going to alchemy the trap. And I'm sorry that Izumi is freakishly strong, but she's not strong enough to punch a boulder to rubble. That's fair. I mean, Indiana Jones doesn't punch it either, he just runs it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think Lupin has the physical capacity to outrun the bowler, which is why I think he would teleport out of that room. Yeah, Izumi would probably... Well, after the series, when she gets fixed up, she'd be fine running away. If it was before her fixed up, she'd probably collapse and start coughing up blood if she tried to run away and get crushed by the boulder. So, knowing that, she would stop to use alchemy to stop the boulder. Or break the boulder. So, a little something fun to try out here. So, you all had backup teachers, right? Yes. Yes. Do you want to try to apply any of them to these situations? See, here's the thing. Both of my backup teachers are just normal fucking dudes. <laughs> so, in most of these situations, they die. Yeah. The one point I have where they would perhaps do better than anyone else is in my Remus Lupin situation where there's a war and he abandons his newborn son. I feel like both of my backup teachers would actually just stay at home with the newborn son <laughs> so he has a father and mother to look after well, him. I'm going to go through my list and just try to think of these scenarios to go through. So my first one is Professor Layton. Yep. <laughs> so I think Professor Layton and the Indiana Jones things go almost the exact same way. Just there's a lot more focus on the puzzles. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, second, I have Eraserhead from My Hero Academia. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I feel like he's useless in most of these situations because I don't His think His power does not apply yeah, to this. No. The boulder one, he'd be able to shoot the boulder apart. 
and most of the temple. Now here's the one I love for all of these situations. Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World. Yeah, I don't think he survives any of the situations <laughs> we've described. Funny enough, though, he does successfully get the Holy Grail. Yeah. Who would have guessed? Uh, I had Professor Snape, which I kind of just think nullifies it for year one. Yeah. Mm. And I had Edogawa from uh, the Persona series. That's the teacher with the thick glasses that like just goes on tangents about ancient gods. Oh, yeah. I think yep. he would solve. I think to be fair, I think Edogawa would probably solve all the Indiana Jones oh, yeah. puzzles, he, no did. problem, because he knows all this ancient god lore. Yeah, and he would probably also get to the Holy Grail without a problem. Uh, the leap of faith might be a little bit of a leap of faith for him, but <laughs> I can see him getting there. I, so I have I had two backup teachers. Uh, I have Gaku Yashiro from Erased, uh, who, as I said, is just kind of a normal dude. Um, I don't want to talk too much about him because that story does have some twists in it and I don't want to spoil too much. But he's just kind of a normal teacher who cares about his students and wants to, like, when he sees them suffering, tries to make sure other students are looking out for them and help students help each other. So. Is the twist that he has more organs? The twist is that he has a surplus of organs, yes. Huh. Uh, my other teacher is uh, Takashi Hayashida uh, from a show called March Comes In Like a Lion. And he's a teacher... The whole show is about a depressed high schooler uh, who's also a nationally ranked shogi player, where shogi's like Japanese chess, If for those of you who aren't aware. Um, for those uncultured fellows. For those uncultured fellows. Um, so yeah, he recognizes that his student is super depressed and kind of keeps going out of his way to help a student. And then when another student starts getting bullied, he like goes super pro teacher mode and tries to help resolve the bullying situation, even though bullying's a really hard thing to deal with as a teacher and there's no right answer. And it gets real like emotional, but yeah, he's just like a dude who cares about his students and wants to make sure everyone's going through life. All right. I literally, both of my backup teachers were just normal dudes who were like, I would genuinely enjoy having as teachers because they care about their students and don't do ridiculous things to put them in danger. Did you know this is going to be a battle to the death with puzzles? <laughs> Little did I know it would be a puzzle battle to the death. Yeah. I had four other backups, just in case, because I was looking at a bunch of different teachers. Three of them being from different anime. One of them, the iconic Miss Frizzle, who... Ah, oh, my favorite anime. <laughs> She's Second only to Corey one, in the house. One, one of them who is not from anime, though. The one, the only one with my teacher choices who was not from anime was Miss Frizzle. The <laughs> it's a shame though because I'm just thinking of all the puzzles that we would have had for uh, Indiana Jones with the Miss Frizzle situation. Magic school bus gets her through every single one yeah. of those puzzles. <laughs> Probably has a scanner to figure out which of the cups is the Holy Grail. <laughs> yeah. She has an actual picture taken from like back in like ancient times of Jesus with the real Holy Grail. So, yeah. And it's like, now students, which one is it? It's literally a candid photo of him taking a drink and getting caught off guard by the fact that there's a camera there. <laughs> yeah. It's not even a picture. She literally uses the magic school oh. to go back in time to Jesus' oh, times and yeah. sees him with the cup. It's a picture of her drinking from the cup with Jesus. That explains <laughs> everything. <laughs> oh, because she's magic. There's no, there's no questions about that. She knows everything, despite the fact that she claims she doesn't know everything. Okay, quick question, because the magic school bus is clearly a magical being of immense power. That was created by Miss Frizzle. Yep. Was it created by Miss yes, Frizzle? Yes, it was. I I would argue it was found by Miss Frizzle, and it's actually the second coming of Jesus <laughs> is the 
magic school bus, <laughs> and that explains its immense magical power. <laughs> Jesus wasn't a man of science. He was a man of carpentry. Carpentry is like one step oh. below science. In his second coming, clearly he takes a step up, becomes a science teacher who is bus. actually a school bus. <laughs> Wait, a science teacher as well. I feel like the school bus is more passionate about teaching science than Miss Frizzle yeah. is. Oh, to be fair, Miss Frizzle has totally had students done. Oh yeah, she is oh, 100% yeah. put students in harm's way. Every episode, there's students in harm's way, or turned into weird things. Or, uh, what's his face with the glasses? Arnold. Arnold fucking killing himself on the moon. On Pluto. Pluto. It's a moon now. <laughs> Getting carried away by fucking ants because he's a marshmallow or some shit. I vaguely remember this show. <laughs> I think the bus was a s'more. <laughs> the bus was a s'more, that's right, yeah. But yeah. One of my other backups named Ursula Callistus, another anime character. A witch. So yeah, magic all problems. What's the anime, Matthew? Little Witch Academia. Okay. Very enjoyable, lighthearted anime about a witch school. And another one of my uh, characters definitely would be the best teacher overall of all time, without question, Kara-sensei from Assassination Classroom. He is the perfect teacher in all regards, able to travel at Mach 10 and teach an entire class individually, all by himself at the same time. You're missing the part... Where if his students are incapable of killing him, he destroys the fucking planet. He's the best teacher. Because he's... That is a huge fucking detractor. He's point. teaching them how to kill himself so he doesn't destroy the planet. Also, if uh, Indiana Jones is in that classroom, the students also wouldn't be able to kill him. True. He's too lucky. <laughs> Lupin's 100% dead in that situation. And, and then my and I'm pretty sure Indiana Jones will, by the logic of Indiana Jones fights, if he was to fight this sensei man, who is apparently unkillable, luck would kill him. Because Indiana Jones willed it. I'm pretty sure if you put Indiana Jones into that classroom and all the students trying to kill him to save the world, all the students would die! <laughs> That's more likely. <laughs> but And my last teacher, Tetsuo Takahashi, uh, he's just a regular biology teacher. He would not survive in any of these situations. I mean, to be fair, uh, Indiana Jones is just your average archaeology teacher. Who is immortal and has the luck of the gods on I his mean, side. I mean, he wasn't immortal until the end of the fourth, third movie. But he still always had the luck of the gods on his It's still only a theory, though. <laughs> uh, what is your... The argument is because where the plot of the movies is, it transitions from being an anti-hero that will screw over anyone to becoming a pure person who would actually meet the requirements of the Grail... He's, that's the reason he becomes immortal, but his father doesn't. Fair. Mm -hmm. What's your biology teacher from, Matthew? Uh, I'll get to that later, because uh, he's from the show that I want to recommend later. Ah. On the recommendation! <laughs> so, do you guys have a recommendation? Uh, so, we all agree that Indiana Jones would win in a fight. I mean, uh, obvious. It doesn't matter who he's fighting. He that was, sounds, he doesn't was, need a second half. <laughs> Indiana okay. Jones would win in a fight. Yes, no. he would. Especially if no. there's an airplane nearby. No, he would lose the fight, but okay, his yes. opponent would die. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, yes, let's rephrase. Uh, we all agree Indiana Jones would survive a fight. That's what yes. we can all agree with. Because let's see, if we... Oh. Well, there's... If we go back through the fights in Temple of Doom... Uh, the guy gets pulled into a rock crusher <laughs> in uh, Ark. It's 
an airplane. Yeah, it's the airplane propeller. And in Last Crusade, it's a tank. Yep. <laughs> and I believe it's ants in yes. the Crystal Skull. Yeah, yep. it's a swarm of man-eating ants, apparently. That, because they couldn't eat those CG gophers because, you know, those gophers are not real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the ants clearly were. Yeah. I mean, they dragged the bodies away. They are obviously real. So, yes. Answer to the question... Would Indy survive a fight? Yes. Yes, he would. Would he win? Debatable. It depends on your definition of win. If your definition of win is who is alive at the end of the fight, yes, he wins. If your definition is who kicked the shit out of the other one, no, he would lose every (laughs) single one of the fights. (laughs) The character fighting is going to have a blast for the first part of that fight as they just beat the shit out of him. But it's going to end pretty quickly and abruptly for them. Yeah. Because their scarf gets caught in something. Because he holds up a picture of the moon and that's enough to turn him into a werewolf. He would probably just destroy Lupin with words and then Lupin would just off himself. I never endangered one of my students. Yes, he did! (laughs) But Lupin doesn't know that. (laughs) And be fair, Indy might not know that either. It's true. Indy might not have that perspective. There was never a risk. All my students were perfectly safe all the time. Just ask Short Round. Short Short Round, where are you? Where'd you go, Short Round? I haven't seen that man since Temple of Doom. (laughs) Some say he's still in that temple to this day. Jesus. I think question for the audience is pretty obvious. Which one of our teachers is clearly the best teacher? Or if you think you know of a teacher who is better than any of our teachers, feel free to let us know in an email. Uh, We will reply and tell you why you're wrong. Because the best teacher is clearly one of our three teachers. I would put an extra step in that question. I, if you're going to put another teacher in there, you have to at least answer their solution to some of the puzzles we put in place. You have to, you have to at the very least explain why they're the best teacher, and yeah, address at least one of the puzzles we pose to the other two and say how they would address it. And don't choose some compo teacher like Koro Sensei, just because he can only be killed by one or two things in the entire universe. And it would happen to find its way into that fight with Indiana Jones. Nope. And also, he's going to destroy the entire planet, and that does not make him a good fucking teacher. Teachers don't threaten the entire planet if you fail to complete an assignment by the end of the year. I mean... (laughs) Good teachers don't do that. Let me rephrase. Uh, Depends on your definition of good. No, I'm standing by my (laughs) words. A good teacher would not threaten to destroy the entire planet if you didn't complete an assignment by the end of the year. Alright. So I guess we get into recommendations now. So Matt, tell us what it is. Tell us what your fucking biology teacher is for. Alright. I'm going to recommend it's... Sticking with the theme of schools, it's called Interviews with Monster Girls. And before you jump to con- <laughs> before you jump to conclusions, because I knew you were. Oh, man of culture, I see. I was gonna say that the first thing that you think of when you hear Monster Girls is the heavily sexualized. And you would be right to think of that. And you would be dead wrong in this. Is there one any other type of Monster Girls? This one situation, they are called demi humans in the show. The only time that they're ever referred to as Monster Girls is in the title, and that's probably just some attention grabber. Um, there's a Dullahan, a vampire, and a snow woman, a Yukiona, and, uh, 
I guess there's a succubus and there's a little bit of adult humor, but everything is really wholesome and family friendly. Ah, succubus is synonymous with wholesome. But anyway, the main character is Tetsuo Takahashi. He's a 27-year-old biology teacher, and he is fascinated with the concept of demi-humans and just would love the, I guess, the uh, opportunity to study them. And lo and behold, a new school semester starts, and there are three demi-humans and a new teacher who is also a demi-human in that year. Are demi-humans a common thing in that world? They are more common. I mean, if you just look at Zeus, I wouldn't be surprised if everything was demi-human at some point. It's kind of like a genetics type of thing. Whereas two parents, they could be normally perfect humans, like uh, the case of one of the characters, yet their sibling is also human, but they themselves are a vampire. It's like some recessive trait in the family or what have you. Okay. I just take issue with the idea of a teacher lamenting the fact that he can't study demi-humans only for the next year there to be oh, no. three and a half demi-humans for him to study. Just well, magically well, that, enrolled that, in his all-human school. Well, that's just... Uh, I, I know, I'm it, just saying... It's because they're, they're rare for the most part. They're widespread across the whole world. But, I, um... Uh, yeah, he's there, and he's essentially falls into the role of a guidance counselor for them, helping them fit in with other humans and teaching them how to deal with their own issues and problems as monsters, in a sense. Uh, my recommendation, I mentioned it earlier because I'm not weird about mentioning the title of something I'm going to recommend at the end of the episode. <laughs> Sorry, Matt, I don't know why I took that jab at you right there, other than I couldn't help myself. Uh, it's March Comes In Like a Lion. So it's a story about a uh, high school-aged student named Rei Kirishima. Uh, sorry, Kiriyama, not Kirishima, um, who is a shogi player, as I've said, a professional Japanese chess player, uh, who's dealing with depression and just, like, how much he is sad all the time. And it's got a very wholesome teacher who's just, like, trying to help him out and is a big fan of shogi. And it's just, like, a story about a sad kid who's, like, got people supporting him and making him feel better. It's a good time. So, this isn't my suggestion, but I just thought of another teacher that could have been a funny scenario. And that is Arnold Schwarzenegger's Kindergarten Comedy. Oh my god. Yes, that would have been another fun one. Uh, But my suggestion is I'm actually going to go with a magical teacher, Nagima. So, it starts off as just, uh, it's essentially this eight-year-old boy who is going to be teaching at this uh, pretty much, it, it it looks like your standard British school, but I don't think it's in Britain. But essentially, it's uh, it's like a private school, and he's teaching for this class because his father was a really famous wizard slash teacher, and the headmaster's friends with him, and he disappeared. So he decided to give this man a job because he's very intelligent for his age. This eight year old? Yes. Okay. So he ends up being the teacher, and then the story just kind of does a one eighty, and then it's we got to go to the magical world to stop this demon from destroying the universe, and also all the girls in this class have powers. Cool. All right. One gets a sword, one's a robot, one made the robot, one controls time. It's a whole ordeal. It's a pretty interesting series. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. It's called Negima, Magical Sensei. Also, I've got to say that uh, another thing to maybe encourage people to watch interviews with Monster Girls, 
It is an amazing, <laughs> amazing comedy. Matt, you gave the name. No one else needs another reason. You're really trying to hammer home that it's not weird to like this show, it's, Matt. It's not. I get it. It's just the more you insist that we should watch the show and it's not weird, the more weird I think of it. It is a, it's a freaking amazing comedy. I fell out of my chair in pretty much every episode laughing. Alright, I'll check it out. You've maybe sold me. Also in the game, one of the students is a vampire. The other one's from the future. There's twins that can use, like, shaman abilities. I cannot address how normal of people they are. And March comes in like, like, 100% normal fucking people. There is no magic going on in this world. One of them has guns. Uh, there's probably guns. And March comes in like, oh, I still think it exists in this world. So, uh, looking at this, looks like no one has guessed the episode as of now, but you still have some time to guess it if it's correct. We'll be a little lenient on this one where it's a little all over the place from the image, so if you can guess one of our topics or the whole general idea of school. Yeah, if you can come up with something about schools or teachers or if you manage to name one of our three fucking teachers, bonus then points. That's kudos to you. Uh, do we have any emails? Uh, we do not have any emails at this time. No one was willing to solve our, uh, whatchamacallit, our cat problem. I feel so lonely. But that's too bad. We solved our cat problem ourselves. I'm so lonely. Well, uh, if that's it then, I'm going to finish off by saying thank you for listening to the episode. Of course, if you're watching this on YouTube or uh, any of the podcast things, try giving it a few stars, a like, or subscribe to the channel, and review. Uh, worded reviews, even if it's just like... This is cool, I guess. Anything simple helps out the channel. Uh, we've been steadily growing, so anything you do does help. Get our, our episodes out to more people, of course. Feel free to leave the review of two of these people have very handsome voices and one of them doesn't. Just to fuck with us and cause us to debate at length who the fuck you're talking about. And one of them needs speech therapy. Why would you say that about me, Matt? Not cool. And one of them's clearly fucked up, which is me. That's the one they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, of course, if you have a suggestion of what the episode could be or you'd like to answer the question, feel free to email us at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com, spelled how words normally are at this point. Uh, and of course, join us in a fortnight too, where we might be talking about another interesting topic that you might enjoy. Uh, for this one, it is going to be a fun one because we are getting into Spooktober finally. Ooh, it's going to be spooky. Month. Hope nobody screams when we start doing spooky things. Yeah, I hope you're a fan of scary movies. <laughs>